If you're watching online, you maybe have seen on the tables we're doing communion today. So if you need to go grab whatever you need for communion uh, to do that, then, then go ahead and do that. Um, everybody, uh, today I, I, want, I thought about calling an audible because after the men's axe throwing thing on Friday, I thought maybe we should talk about humility um, <laughs> and kindness today. Uh, but I figure we just keep rolling through Mark. So if you have your uh, Bible, we're going to keep going through the uh, Gospel of, of Mark this morning. We're in chapter 3, right in the middle of chapter 3. Um, and hey, just so, just if, I, forget, I can't remember what we decided to do with this, but um, we have a, a few of these ordered. They're not here yet. They'll be here in the next week or so. Uh, but there are these little things called uh, uh, like scripture journals. And so what they are, it's, the, it's just the Gospel of Mark. It's about that thick. It's small. And on the left-hand side, it has like the, the Bible, like the Scripture. And then on the right-hand side, it's just like, like lined pages, like a notebook. So if you're interested in one of those, I can't remember what logistically if we decided. Let, let us know if you want one of those. I don't know. You can tell me, tell Amy or, or Fred. Okay. Okay. So I jumped the gun. So whenever they're here, we'll let you know. And if you want one, you can grab one, uh, but just be thinking about them until they're here. Okay, I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said anything uh, uh, until next week. But yeah, I just was excited. I've had some coffee this morning, a lot of coffee this morning. Um, So yeah, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And so we've been uh, looking at, you know, we're kind of calling it... um, you know, like Mark wrote like a biography of Jesus uh, where he's tracking the, the, the ministry, his life, words and events uh, that he did while, while he was on earth. And, and uh, Mark, you know, we've kind of talked about breaks it down almost like a play into three acts. Uh, act one is, is kind of like, who is this Jesus guy? Um, act two is like, is like, okay, so now that Jesus is here and we know who he is, what are we going to do about it? And then the, the final act, chapter 11, it kind of turns, and it's kind of like, you know, it, it slows down. Mark is kind of action-packed. Those first 10 chapters are kind of fast-paced. Jesus is doing a lot of stuff. Uh, the last uh, few chapters kind of slow down and covers the whole last week of his earthly life. And so it slows down, and, it's, and, and it kind of asks the question of like, of, like, why did Jesus come? Or, like, what is he going to do to prove that he's who he said he is? And so... Um, We've seen Jesus already, just in the first few chapters, do some crazy stuff. You know, he's healed people, he's cast out demons, he's, he's done miracles, he said some kind of challenging things. Last week, we kind of saw like a head-to-head, like Jesus and the Pharisees, and, and, and Fred really challenged us with, with kind of taking in, like kind of an internal inventory of like the Pharisee in me and the Pharisee in you. And so this week, we're, in, uh, we're just going to be looking at, at six verses uh, verses three th- or uh, verses seven through twelve of chapter three. So let me read those for us, and, and then and then we'll get started. Uh, so let me just kind of give the context. Verse six, chapter three. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Verse seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. A large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from the regions, across the Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowds, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many people, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. 
So there are kind of like two people in this world, okay? There are people, whenever you have to assemble something, who look at the directions and follow the directions, the instructions for putting things together. And then there are people who look at the picture on the box and try to do it without the in- instructions, right? So we had two, two kinds of people. We, Anna and I, uh, we, we, found, we were reminded of this reality this past week. We bought one of those little like stand-up fans, you know, and, uh, and Anna was like, hey, Matt, do you mind putting this together? And I'm like, no problem. You know, so I just kind of start messing with it, you know. And she's like, the instructions are in the box. And I'm like, cool. You know, and I just keep kind of like, you know, tinkering with it. And I'm doing pretty good. I get almost done. And then there's the last piece where you got to like the front thing of the fan to make sure no little fingers get stuck in there, you know, like clips on somehow. And I couldn't quite figure it out. And, and the instructions were in the box the whole time. But I'm like, no, I can, I can do this, you know. And I just kind of skim them real quick. I'm like, I got it. And I could not get that one little piece to, like, clip onto the front, you know. To like, I kept doing it. And, and then Anna, you know, was like, if you would just read the instructions. So I, I finally read the instructions. I was like, okay. What I was, trying, I was trying to reduce it are, like, Lego fans. Any Lego fans or grew up at one point were a Lego fan, but now you're too old to admit it. Lego fans. <laughs> Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay, Lego fans. Yeah, like we did the same, like, like you maybe read the like first like two instructions and then you skip to the last two and then you try to fill in the gaps yourself. Or who does that with books? Anybody? I've heard about people with books that read like the first chapter and the last chapter and then they read. I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, right? Like, like you try to, because what we're basically trying to do in all those instances or maybe like anybody remember in school, where uh, like one of the first days of class, your teacher would give you this piece of paper and it has like 20 instructions. And then the last instruction says like, just sit there quietly with your pencil on the table. And so if you didn't read all the instructions first, you try to do all this crazy stuff and then you read the last one and, you, and the last instruction's like, don't, actually don't do anything, just sit there and wait patiently. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? And so you, like the one or two kids who like actually read all of them are sitting there smugly looking around. And everybody else like me is like, at that point, like doodling something. They've lost interest. What we do is we're like prone to like, we want to try to like reduce things to like the easiest, most functional, efficient way that we can, right? Like, like that's kind of what, like what we're good at. I'm really bad for that. Like I'm really bad just, just to try to like, I think I can figure out kind of the heart of it. And so then I'll just kind of take it from there and not take the instructions. See, what, what we get today is we get a story that's a little bit different from the other stories we've seen in Mark because there's no, you know, there's no uh, dialogue. There's no, like, really crazy action-packed things that happen. Uh, we, we saw Jesus in chapter 1. He withdrew from, from people, but it wasn't because of any reason other than just the motivation. He wanted to be with God. He needed to get with the Father to kind of refocus and re-energize. But this one, it's interesting because Jesus specifically does two things. He withdraws from the crowd who needs him, and then he, he commands the impure spirits not to say anything. He strictly orders them. And the reason why is because at this point in Jesus' ministry, people had seen what he could do. The impure spirits had seen what he was capable of, and they tried to re- reduce Jesus to something less than what he actually is. They tried to make him something less than who he fully, truly is. And so there's two things that we see that, that, that the crowds and the impure spirit try to reduce Jesus to. And then we see the remedies that Jesus gives for that, for those who call themselves disciples of him. So the first thing that we see 
is that they try to reduce Jesus, the crowd tries to reduce Jesus to a commodity. They try to reduce Jesus to a commodity, and Jesus refuses to be reduced to a commodity. A commodity is a valuable thing that can be bought, sold, or exchanged for something else of similar value. See, at this point, it says that that a large crowd followed from Galilee. They heard all that he was doing. Many people were coming from all over because what they did, they wanted Jesus for what he could do, not for who he was. They wanted Jesus because they needed something from him and they knew that he, that if they came and they exchanged something, they would get something in return. Maybe they, they thought if they gave their time, if they asked him the right question, that he would give them something. Now, now it's, it's, it's very important, many of it, we need Jesus to show up and do things in our lives, but there's a difference in wanting Jesus and wanting what Jesus can do. Because when Jesus in our lives becomes a commodity, we try to reduce him to just like, like a magic genie, where we get three wishes and he grants them, right? Or like a, like a, like a, like a lifesaver. Like we only ever call out to him whenever we feel like we're sinking and we, have, and we need that immediate help. Right? Like, like a commodity changes our faith into, if I give blank, then I will get blank. Right? We, do, we do this a lot sometimes, right? Like, like kind of some funny things are like, I remember like it's end of the school year now, like end of whatever they're called, EOCs or EOGs or I don't remember what, which one are they now? G? Okay. EOGs, end of grade uh, testing go, goes on. And I can remember like, being a kid and being in the EOGs and being like, all right, Jesus, I did not study. But I promise you, if I make a good grade, I will faithfully follow you. My whole, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll go to any country you call me to if I could just pass this test. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's kind of a silly. But we do that too. I mean, you know, like non-students. Like, like we see the, uh, we're driving down the interstate and we see the, we see the, the flashing lights behind us. And we immediately start praying, like, Jesus, please let it be the car in front of me. I'll go right now and, and serve at a homeless shelter. If you just, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of, you know, like, it's kind of funny, but we do it. I mean, like, that's like a silly example. But we do it all the time because what we do when we, when we calculate, like, I will give blank if I get blank, we, we've determined value in something. And we've decided what it's worth and whether we're willing to trade it or not. Like, in that moment, we've decided okay, Jesus following you is worth blank, right? Like, like we see that, like I see this with Cora a lot. Like she, you know, our four-year-old, she gives me ultimatums all the time. But it's great to see the way, like what she, like daddy, if you don't do this, I won't do that. And so she's decided like the most valuable thing, and it's really precious because she's like the most valuable thing, she'll say, daddy, if you don't give me gummies right now, I will not let you play blocks with me. You know, and it's really sweet, but in that moment, what she values more than anything is just hanging out, hanging out with dad. Like, I'm not going to let you do that with me. You know, or like, daddy, if you don't give me ice cream, then joke's on you, you won't give me a bedtime blessing tonight. You know, because in her mind, that's what she values, and that's what we do when we reduce Jesus to a commodity. It makes us expose our real values, because our value typically is comfort, right? It's like, Jesus, I'll follow you, like, if I get this. Or like, hey, Jesus, I'll come to you now. I'll come to you right now. And we, and we make Jesus a, a, like a spiritual vending machine 
that we kind of kind of categorize, we put him, he's at one location, and we can go back to that location whenever we need it, you know? Like, that's how gas stations work. Like, we know, the ga- we know where the gas station is that we can go get gas. It's a commodity. We know where the grocery store is. We know where things are when we need it. We can go and exchange an item for something that we need. And we, and we try to reduce Jesus to that, and it just, it, it doesn't hold up, right? It's not gonna work. Because ultimately, when we make Jesus a commodity, what happens is when he doesn't answer the prayer request, it leads to exposed and multiplied and unprocessed doubt. Because if Jesus is just a commodity, if we only want Jesus for what he can give us and what he can do for us in the moment, if we reduce Jesus to our prayer requests, then how easy is it if that prayer isn't answered to start doubting Jesus? Because if Jesus is a commodity, if he's only what he can do for us, then we're able to process Jesus through our doubts instead of our doubts through Jesus. An unprocessed doubt, undealt with doubt, is like detrimental to faith. It's, it's detrimental to our faith. If you haven't experienced doubt, like, like if doubt, like if you're like, man, no, I, I've never doubted, right? Like I would, I would never, I would never doubt Jesus. I would never say no to Jesus. I would never do any of that. Let me just say, there's gonna be, a, it's coming. There's gonna be a season of doubt. There are gonna be times of doubt. It's like a blind date you didn't even know was happening. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Show up to hang out with some friends and there's all of a sudden this other person there that you're like, wait a minute. But that's what it's like. like. Like everything's going well, you think things fine, and then, that, then Jesus didn't do exactly what you wanted him to do, and that doubt sets in. Right? I mean, look at Peter. Peter said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. Jesus, he's like, by the, by the end of the night, man, like before morning comes, you're going to deny me three times. I love the story of Thomas, because Thomas gives us hope in processing his doubt. If you look at John John chapter 20, real quick. You, can, you don't have to turn there unless you just want to. But just a, just a few, few short verses. John chapter 20, verse 24 says, Now Thomas, also known as the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. Thomas, this guy, gets a bad rap because of this story. Don't forget a few chapters earlier, the disciples said, Jesus, don't go back to Jerusalem. They want to kill you there. And Thomas is the guy who said, you know what? If they're going to kill him, they're going to kill me too. Now he's in a season of doubt, right? He, he thought Jesus was going to be the dude to answer his prayers to overthrow the evil Roman Empire and liberate Israel and be the Messiah the way he thought. Prayers weren't answered, doubt sets in. But I love the way Thomas processes his doubt. Look how honest he is. First of all, the first thing I love that it says he wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus showed up. That Hopefully that frees us up. Like some of you guys, you look around the room and worship's going on and your hands are in the air and you're sitting there and you're like, it's not, I don't get it. That's not me. That's okay. That's okay. Or maybe you hear people, you like hear people have this like big calling and God vision and dream for their life and they're going to the mission field selling everything and you're like, man, I'm just trying to like get through the day. 
I'm not with those other disciples. I, I don't, I'm not there, I'm not there right now. Let me just encourage you, there's a time and seasons of doubt where that's gonna set in. But here's the beautiful thing is that Jesus is not a commodity, right? He's not just, even with Thomas's doubt, like the nails, the side, all of that stuff, Thomas gives his list of like, Jesus, here's what I need to happen. And here's the beautiful thing about that. Verse 26, John 20, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in, stood among them, and said, peace be with you. See, Jesus wants to come in the seasons of doubt and prove that he's not just a spiritual vending machine or like a, like a, like a magic genie, but, but he's him. He wants to come in your life and let you process your whys through Jesus, not Jesus through your whys. It sounds really cheesy, but there's two things we learn from Thomas that we have to keep on Jesus in those seasons of doubt to be reminded that Jesus isn't just a commodity. All right, this sounds cheesy, but you won't forget it because I haven't forgotten it. I heard it from somebody else a long time ago. The two things we keep on Jesus that that we learn from Thomas is our whys and our eyes. We keep our whys on on Jesus. See, Thomas said, he said, unless I see these specific things, I'm not going to believe. Jesus came in, he stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And in verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out, touch my side, stop doubting and believe. See, Jesus comes and he lets Thomas process those very specific doubts that he has. And then look at what he says. He says, see, look at me. And then Thomas says, he responds in worship. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So as we process our doubt, the the remedy for us trying to reduce Jesus to a commodity in our lives, he does it back in Mark 3 as well. The remedy for reducing Jesus to a commodity is intimacy. See, when we stop asking Jesus for things and we start asking Jesus for him, we realize he's more of a person than he is a thing. He's more than what he offers us. He's himself. He's a living person. He's raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He gives us his Holy Spirit to remind us that he's a real person. Like, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, I know that's a long ways away for our like, like Protestant American eyes. But man, like they, they celebrate the day that Jesus ascended back into heaven. And they take what Hebrew says really seriously about like Jesus is actually the right hand of the Father interceding for us at all times. Like for some of us, we just need to like take some time this week and read these stories of Jesus and remember that like they actually happened. You know, like Jesus was an actual real person that did these things. See, the disciples, whenever all the crowd was coming to him, they were trying to reduce him to just what he could do. Look what he said in verse 9. He says, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. See, a lot of us in crowds, like crowds can't process truth. You know, crowds are the things that, that keep you from, only, from hearing more peripherally than you do vertically. Uh, crowds are the, the times where you can't find times to be alone with Jesus, but Jesus invites his disciples into a small, intimate setting where they can be reminded of who he is, 
and not just what he's doing. Because we find ourselves a lot when, when Jesus is reduced to a commodity, you, you find yourself saying things like this. Yeah, I'm a Christian uh, because my faith is my faith and blank. Like whatever that is. Like Jesus is a commodity whenever you can compartmentalize him and it's my faith in Jesus and my political party. Or it's my faith, like I'll follow Jesus and, I, and I'm all in, I'm a disciple, as long as I have my faith and blank. Like as long as I have my faith and a good relationship with my family, I can believe in Jesus. As long as I have my faith and enough money in my bank account, I can follow Jesus. As long as I have my faith and blank, then I'm good. See, at that point, we've determined the value again. And maybe Jesus isn't just about the, the answers he gives us, but he's a commodity because we have seen him as something we can, we can exchange with equal value to something else in our lives. It's my faith and this. And if that's good, I can follow Jesus. But once again, when we hold those things in light of Jesus, and we filter those and determine value based on those things. It's like holding a candle up and trying to compare it to the sun. Like it's just gonna, it's just gonna, it's gonna there, there's no equal value thing that you can exchange for Jesus. That's why he died. That's why he gave his own life for us. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit and made us his temple. Because a beautiful golden temple with the Holy of Holies just wasn't gonna be, an, it just couldn't do it. We kept trying to exchange more and more for, for his presence in our lives, and it just was never going to cut it. We just were never going to be able to cut it. Verse 10, it says that, For he had healed many, so that the, those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. See, once again, sometimes Jesus is calling us to step away from times in the crowd. Like, if, like, I love church for what Fred said, totally true. Like if you can be in person and it's available, it's not like a guilt trip to get people in the room. It's like we truly believe there's something about like being with other people, singing songs and praying together and hearing the word of God spoken. But if this is it for you, if the Sunday morning is it, man, like you're missing out. Like Jesus his presence. He wants to be with you daily. He wants to call you out of times of the crowd to be alone with him so that he can speak to you. And he can guide you and he can lead you and he can remind you that he's a person and not just a thing. So the second thing, we good? Everybody's like, all right, man, let's move on. <laughs> like, part one, part one done. So verse 11, this is where things get a little, a little more weird, okay? So verse 11 Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. See, this is the part of the story. We see the crowds try to reduce Jesus to a commodity. The impure spirits were trying to reduce Jesus to competition. And Jesus refuses to be reduced to competition in our lives. See, here's why, like, like throughout the, the Gospels, you see uh, times where Jesus comes in contact with, with evil spirits or demons or, or people who are possessed by demons or impure, impure spirits like this. And almost always, those uh, other beings, those other creatures, they give Jesus like a, like a very like Messiah title. Like they call him the Christ or the Holy One of God or you know, something like that. But this time, it's interesting because they say, Jesus, you are the Son of God. 
And what they're doing is, like, I won't get into all the, like, like, you guys think some of the stuff we've talked about is like Bible nerd stuff. This would be crazy Bible nerdy stuff. But basically, the difference is with the language here, they're trying to like give Jesus a title that's partly true, but not fully true. Because to say that he's the son of God, like anybody who considered themselves like a faithful Israelite or a faithful Jew in this time would be considered a son of God. Like, that, like he could have said that to any, basically any of the disciples and that would have been true, them pure spirits. So what they're trying to do, they're trying to like say that Jesus is the Son of God. They're trying to, to give him a title so that it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. And that just like doesn't fly. Like Jesus, like that's not going to happen. Because they think like if, you're, if you have a fear in your life or there's something like, like you know, you're competing with, if you can name it, then you can level the playing field and try to do it. Like any, any board game folks, Anybody love board games? Okay, anybody ever play uh, Settlers of Catan? Okay, Settlers of Catan, great game, great game. Um, I'm terrible at it, but it's a great game. Uh, typically, in the back, there's a, a family uh, with a little sweet baby, Wren, and Jordan, uh, the mom of Wren, Jordan Foreman, uh, and her husband, Jesse, they used to come over and play Catan a lot uh, before they had a baby, and, and we had babies, uh, and Jordan would always beat me. Like, she'd always win. She was, like, scary good at this game, Settlers of Catan. And then I remember, like, at one point, I was like, okay, if I, like, if I could just figure out her strategy and I could name it, then I could figure out how to go from there, you know? And so I kept watching her kind of play, and, and then finally I was like, oh, I got it. Like, I figured it out, and, like, it leveled the playing field a lot, you know? Like, if you grew up playing sports, like, you kind of do the same thing. You watch game film. You know, and you like try to watch their play. And you're like, oh, here's how they play. Here's how they do stuff. Because if you can learn the competition strategy, you can level the playing field and, and try to go into the game on, on, on equal grounds, right? Like, like we do that all the time. And that's what the impure spirits are trying to do with Jesus. That's what they're trying to do. They say, Jesus, if we can, if we can give you a name, then you, then that's all you're going to be, Right? Like, like, how much easier is it when, like, when you were a kid or you have kids and you're scared of something, like you're scared of the closet at night, bedtime, and you come in and you turn on the lights, you're like, that's not an animal, it's just like your coat hanging. Like, oh, okay. Like, once you can name it, you're not afraid of it anymore. Yeah, that's why we love to, like, categorize stuff all the time. Like, even if we don't know what things are, like, if we can give it a name and we can see it and we can name it, then we have some kind of strategy moving forward. See, that's what the impure spirits are doing. And you say, like, okay, like, Matt, I'm with you, but I'm not possessed by demons, I don't think. Like, I think I'm good. I'm not trying to, like, have some kind of cosmic battle with Jesus today. But we do that. We, we try to reduce Jesus to competition all the time. Like, we're talking about values earlier, and we're, and, and, and we're, and we're talking about how we try to get Jesus on level playing field and we do, that, we do it a lot when we do this. Like, like when we hear Jesus say things like, follow me, or like deny yourself, we start thinking of like ways to justify not doing that. Right? Like, like we start, okay, well, well if, I can, if I can like come up with an excuse or, I, or if I can come up with like a justification to not do it and I can name it, then I've leveled the playing field with Jesus and I can move forward. You know, like, like we say things like, hey, Jesus, like I know, I, I, I feel like you, you're like calling me to like reach out to my neighbor and love them, but like, man, I, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to inconvenience them. 
don't want to be that weird Christian. So like, I'm, I'm not going to invite him over for dinner. Right? Like, we've named it at that point. We've justified it. We're like, hey, Jesus, I know, like, I know, like, you, you've called me to, like, share my faith with the people I work with. But, man, as soon as I do, like, they're always going to look at me weird. You know? We've named it. We've leveled that playing field of Jesus. We've turned him, because what we do is we value, at that point, we've we figured out we value, like, our reputation. We value our comfort. We value whatever. And we decide it's just not worth what Jesus has called me to do. And, we, and that is now a competing motivation in our lives other than the love of Jesus. It's turned into competition. We've tried to level that playing field so that we could move forward without it. Um, we don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 8 is an interesting chapter, the way it's structured, because throughout the whole chapter, you just get, like, Jesus doing really crazy stuff. Like, anybody who needed a good, like, three or four-point alliterated outline today, this one's for you. You get Jesus. It shows all throughout the chapter, like, like he calms a storm, like, Jesus, like, immediately. He talks immediate obedience. Like, Jesus has power over, like, disaster. Then, like, like, he goes up to people with, like, that are demon-possessed, and he, and he speaks, and he says, come out, immediate obedience. So Jesus has power over demons. Then Jesus has power over disease. There's a man with leprosy. Jesus says, be healed. Immediately, he's healed. And so you get all these great stories of Jesus, like, like speaking in immediate obedience, but then right, right in the middle of the chapter, there's a story that, we, that like if you grew up in church, you kind of know where this one guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, well, foxes have holes in the ground. The birds, of, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And you never hear from that guy again. And then another one comes up and says, Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me go bury my dad first. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me and you never hear from that guy again. So it's interesting that the only two creatures we hear that don't give immediate obedience to Jesus are the two humans in the story. Because what they've done is they've come to Jesus with values that are competing against him. Interesting enough, they saw the great crowds following Jesus, it says, and they came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you. They saw the crowd. They saw all the good things that Jesus was doing. They wanted him for what he could do, they wanted to jump on the, the reputation of Jesus train, but they weren't willing to sacrifice. They had competing loves that they weren't willing to follow Jesus because they had determined Jesus was competition with those things in their lives, and he wasn't worth it. There's two different, two different things there. So what's the remedy for that? So, so while we saw the remedy for Jesus being a commodity is intimacy, uh, the remedy for Jesus being competition in our lives is mission. Because look what he says in verse 12, Mark 3. He gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Now we'll get into this next week. But Jesus, the next story right after this, Jesus, he takes his disciples and he tells them to take his message. See, it wasn't the impure spirits, it wasn't their story to tell. Jesus had a mission for his disciples. It wasn't, it wasn't the impure spirit's mission to tell the good news of Jesus, to, to proclaim his as, as the Son of God. It was his people's mission. See, it's really hard for us to be in competition with Jesus when we're on mission for him and we're sharing our faith and we're serving others and we're, and we're, and we're putting ourselves in the margins of society because at that point, that's where you meet Jesus. Like, that's where he is waiting on us. Like, like when you've decided, like, Jesus is more important 
than my comfort. Jesus is more important than my security. Jesus is more important than these things. My reputation. And at that point, it's no longer competition. So it comes through serving others. It comes through mission. It comes through taking the good news of Jesus, these, these words and the touches of mercy to our community around us so that, that people find wholeness in Jesus. It's hard to compete with someone when you're like praising them, right? Like it's kind of like, that's kind of one of those things like you do it and your heart follows. There's a story Jesus gives a parable where he says there's a master who has two sons and he tells them to do two things. He like tells them, he like gives them chores then he goes out of town. One of them's like, yeah, I love my father. I'll do it, no problem. But he never does it. And then there's another son who like doesn't want to do it and he reluctantly says like, man, I don't really want to do this. But he, but he does what the father asked him to do. He comes home, which one gets praised? The one who did what they were supposed to do, even though it was reluctantly. See, the mission of Jesus, what he calls us to do, he calls us to take, to go make disciples of all nations. When we're doing that, when we're proclaiming his name, when we're going out and doing what he's told us to do, seeing righteousness, salvation, and justice roll like waterfalls. And then there's like no room for competition with Jesus. So that's what, I mean, because we're making much of him. So the remedy for making Jesus competition in our life is the mission, is fulfilling the mission that he's called us to do. So here's what Jesus is after. The bottom line, this story reminds us that Jesus came to be with us. He came to be with us. He came so that we may know him and we may be transformed in his image day by day, finally, fully coming to completion at the day of his revealing. That's what Paul says. See, isn't it interesting, like, how do we do, like, the remedy that Jesus shows us for, like, making him a commodity and competition is intimacy and mission? Like, what's, like, the two hardest things to do as a Christian? For me personally, prayer and sharing my faith. Like, those are like the two like kind of toughest things to do, like consistently in the way I think, like this is not to shame anybody, this is me personally, this hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, like those are like for me the two hardest things to consistently do and feel like I'm doing it the way Jesus asked me to do it was to pray and to share his message with other people. It's, so let me say this, no, like I said, no guilt trip, no shame here. Because the first step, is to hear Jesus saying, like he said to the disciples, hey, go get a small boat and let's get together. Jesus is calling you to him today. Like, Jesus is calling you to him. Like, he's calling you to spend time with him. Like, that, that looks different for a lot of us. A lot of us can, like, wake up in the morning and pray and meet with God. I can't. I have to have some coffee and a few hours of, like, moving around before I feel like my prayers make it through the ceiling. You know what I'm saying? I know that's not how it works, but like, that's just how I feel sometimes. Like, like my time with Jesus comes best normally midday or like end of the day. And so whatever that's like, Jesus is calling you to him. Find out those times. Take some inventory internally, an inventory of your schedule. Like where are those times where you feel like when you talk to God, you're connecting with him? Like this sounds a little irreverent, but like I think we all would do well, me included, just to like realize that Jesus is just, a good hang. Like Jesus just wants to spend time with you. He wants us to know what it's like to be in his presence. Because there's some of us like we kind of feel like we've hit a wall in our discipleship. Like you got saved, you went through like your college ministry or whatever and like reading the Bible is easy and like 
meeting with your small group was easy and stuff like that, and then like life's happening now at this point, you're like, now I've got kids and I don't sleep ever and my job's stressful. And like I don't even have time to like listen to all my voicemails, much less like talk to Jesus. Man, let me just encourage you, Jesus is calling you to him today. Like he's calling you to him. And then if you're here and you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I don't, I don't even know Jesus. Let me just say, Jesus is calling you to him. He's not calling you to check a list. He's not calling you to a religion or, or, or to come to church. I mean, those, those are all important things. Jesus is calling you to him. And so here's what I thought we would do. We have communion. We're going to take communion in just a minute. Um, but I thought I'm going to put a prayer on the screen. I just thought we could just pray this out loud together. Okay? So it might be a little uncomfortable. We'll do it twice, so don't worry. We'll practice for all you type A. Okay? But I thought we could pray this together. So we pray, say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. I believe in you. Help my unbelief. Do we need to do it again? Let's do it again. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. I believe in you. Help my unbelief. Let me pray for us, and then I'll walk us through communion. Jesus, thank you that you are bigger than our sinful desires, that you're greater than our sins, that Jesus, whenever we try, whether willingly or unwillingly, to reduce you to a commodity in our lives or we see you as competition in our lives, Jesus, you just aren't even going to play those games. You've come, you've proven yourself as the Messiah, as the anointed one that came to heal that void between heaven and earth. You died on the cross for our sins. You rose from the grave. And Jesus, thank you that you are calling us into intimacy with you, that we can actually know you, that we can hear you speak to us, that we can feel your presence and know that you are truly the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ who came did everything he said he would do. You rose from the grave and you're going to come back and complete that work of new creation that you've started by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So Jesus, as we come and we take communion and we remember your sacrifice, we remember your blood shed for us that washes us white as snow. We remember your body broken for us but then healed at your resurrection. Jesus, we can look forward to that hope where we see that completed. We love you so much. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do, we're going to sing a song about Jesus. And then as you feel uh, ready, just come up, grab your communion. You can go back to your seat, and then I'll walk us through taking communion together. So as we, as we uh, look to Jesus, to his body and his blood, it's just a good reminder, taking the Lord's Supper, that there's just kind of a few, few directions where we can turn our eyes on Jesus. Uh, we, we look back, remembering what he did for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, we can look around, seeing the body of Christ, other people who have placed their faith in him, that we get a tangible expression here on earth, uh, the reality of who he is. Uh, we look up knowing that Jesus uh, rose from the dead. and He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And then we look ahead, knowing that Jesus one day 
is going to return and finally, fully, and completely uh, make all wrong things right. And so we take the bread, remembering his body that was broken for us, that by his stripes we are healed. And then we take the juice, remembering that Jesus washes us white as snow and established the new covenant by his blood. Jesus, thank you that in our weakness, your power is made perfect. Jesus, that your grace is sufficient for us and that no matter where we find ourselves today in seasons of doubt, in times of following you fully, maybe just in here questioning whether this whole Jesus thing is even for us, Jesus, I pray that as we think on those things and go through these seasons of life that we filter our, our, our wrong mindsets, our doubts, our sins, we filter them and hold them up in light of you instead of doing the opposite, Jesus, because you're, you're bigger than those things. You refuse to be reduced by our sin, by our doubts, by our whys. And Jesus, ultimately, you came to call us back to yourself. So Jesus, wherever we find ourselves in life, as we remember your death and your resurrection, Jesus, I pray that as we draw near to you, continue to draw near to us like your word says. Be faithful to that. Meet us in all these spaces throughout our lives. It's in your name we pray, amen.